So it's been a year since COVID descended as a silent killer. The world dismissed it at first, then overcorrected and ran right into its trap. COVID is a dangerous sickness, but I think its biggest danger is yet to be grasped as the world continues to realize the effect of shutdown might be worse than its benefits. It's likely that the social, economical consequences are going to continue to haunt us as we trod towards uh, the elusive and probably not the same normal as it used to be. It's Saturday, March 13th, 2021, and we're taking a look at the past week where American government comes to the rescue with $2 trillion after a year of conflicting statements. Royal fallout of Harry and Meghan takes another turn as the story gains international attention. Biden says maybe, just maybe, he will let us have 4th of July family celebration if we behave. And the implication of the news from Myanmar and also why, despite the changing laws, you should still check the pockets when you're wearing someone else's jeans. Welcome to Lifering, a weekly podcast where we take a look at the most current events that are folding around us. We take some time throughout the week to, number one, keep an eye on the news, then select some of the most important stories. Then we analyze them to see uh, what lessons can we learn, how can we stay informed, and, well, have a healthy perspective on current events. In this uh, new post-pandemic reality, we have learned that our attention, or lack of it, um, to, to certain topics has some serious and real consequences. And we'll learn that people take sides without really knowing why they do that, and that even fact-checks need to be fact-checked. And if you find yourself disconnected from what's going on around you or overwhelmed by all the noise or feel that you are literally swept away by the current of events, well, this is where we can help, at least in some way. We can throw you a life ring in the current of your events. That's the actual tagline of this uh, show. We won't cover every single thing, but we'll give you a well-rounded review. Uh, we've been blessed to discover and experience the objective truth of uh, Word of God in our life. And as Christians, as citizens, as members of the society we live in, we will offer our commentary, uh, our view from a conservative, wholesome, and Christian perspective. My name is Alex Gaidai, and I'm the host of uh, LifeRing. I'm a millennial born in 1990. Uh, married to my lovely wife, Karina. We are raising uh, four amazing kids. I work as a user experience designer, and I serve as the director of children's ministry at our church in Mount Vernon, Washington. So that's just a bit about me. Joining us on this show are my co-host, Vadim and Paul, and running the technical gears behind the scenes, our brother Dennis. I've been blessed to have these brothers in my life, and, and I'm really excited to share this project with you. And uh, please introduce yourself, Paul, Vadim. Um, hi, as Alex previously said, my name is Paul. Um, I'm a software developer, and as my fellow co-host here, um, residing in the greater Seattle area. Um, the reason I was interested in the news and the daily events that are going on around us is mostly because of my experience in college. Um, so what ended up happening is I was going to college, and most of my friends and the people that were there um, had one perception on the news they were on one political spectrum and then when i came back home on the weekends or on holidays um i talked to people on the opposite end of the spectrum and so kind of seeing this clash uh, made me experience news in a different way because i saw multiple perspectives people that heard the same story and got different takes out of it and so that intrigued me 
And I started looking into the news further. I started to, um, you know, do my own research and here, you know, kind of, I found that I benefited greatly in my um, own personal life, mentally, physically. Um, and so today I would just like to challenge each and every one of us um, here sitting at the table and listening to, you know, do your own research, look at the news, um, get your own conclusions from it and make sure that you're not just, you know, taking out someone else's word for it. Uh, hello to all our listeners. My name is Vadim, uh, inviting you to join us as we sit here enjoying a morning in the deceptive beauty of our home state, Washington. Uh, what brings me here is the love of learning and growing. Uh, we have access to so much information these days that um, we're able to, it enables us to kind of selectively mold our own reality based on what we choose to focus on and also what we choose to ignore. You know, many people live in echo chambers, especially uh, recently with, with so much forced isolation. You know, living in an echo chamber, it's easy to convince yourself of having uh, some kind of moral high ground um, mm -hmm. and that everybody else in the other group just lacks common sense. Um, and so I, I saw a lot of this when I was studying a program in college that claimed to be science-based but turned out to be uh, very faith-based, and that was environmental science. You know, in, in this whirlwind of news events happening around us, my hope is that uh, we'll all be able to find harbingers and telling signs of moral objective truth uh, as together we tread into deeper waters. <laughs> right on. <laughs> all right, so that's Vadim, Paul. Um, and we're going to dive into our weekly top stories that we've selected. There's three of them. And we'll begin with the COVID-19 relief bill. The, the, there's no such thing as free money, you know. Uh, you just don't get free money. I mean, it, it sounds like an oxymoron. And yet you're about to get some deposited in your account. And it's probably not surprising because you've had some already deposited before. Help is on the way is something that's been repeated uh, by Democrats leading up to this week. This is a decision to approve the $1.9 trillion um, aid from the government to stimulate the economy. And uh, so they, they just signed it, uh, you know, on Thursday, Biden signed it. Um, and uh, the total at this point is gonna be now 4 trillion. That's been like in addition to the 900 billion that we got last year, plus whatever we're getting the 1.9 trillion. So to total now they've pumped into the economy up to 4 trillion, you know, into helping the local organizations and, and local governments and businesses and whatnot. And so, in this uh, recent generous package that they, you know, are bringing, we're yet to see if it actually will have any, um, you know, result. And the fact is that um, the vote was along the party lines, and that it, that should be reason enough for us to be concerned as to why are we again putting so much money into, you know, trying to revive the economy. And I guess my uh, main concern with this is that. Um, if we start to look more in depth into the bill, it becomes clear that it's not just help for the American citizens or the world for that matter, but it's also used as a machine or the delivery machine of the liberal agenda. And so logically we would have questions such as, you know, wh what's in the package? Where is the money going? What is the, you know, will the price tag match the impact? A and finally, who's going to get the bill for the bill. F what I found online from a conservative perspective, and, and I know that uh, it was even mentioned um, you know, in the debates, I think it was Congressman Ted Budd who said that 9% of the COVID relief uh, bill is going, only 9% is going towards actually COVID relief, 
and 91% is going elsewhere. And so, uh, uh, you know, as I looked at the bill, it looks like there's quite a few, you know, things that are COVID-related. You can't say that they're COVID-specific, but COVID-related. For example, you get a large part of the bill towards the stimulus payments that are going to, you know, arrive in our accounts. There's um, the unemployment benefits, and then there's the school reopening, you know, budget, which, again, could be argued whether that's going to something, you know, that's COVID-related or has to be or not. And I guess the big question with this is uh, there are misconceptions uh, when we hear a filtered view of a story. So say even from conservative side, I at first thought that this bill is really just, you know, 9% of COVID and the rest is just, you know, going all over the world. And I guess it came out of the speech that Trump had, um, if you remember, in December, was it? Will the price tag match the impact? You know, all the money that we're putting into this bill, um, is it actually going to affect the economy? And what are some of the problems that we're going to see? We'll begin with inflation. And so I would argue that we are already on the way to the recovery and that um, the only thing is holding us back is more of a, I guess, political rhetoric between states, when to open and how to open. I think that's important to... Um that's an important case to case to make because even in even if we analyze uh, the the small portion of the bill that's that's going directly to taxpayers, think about how how government policies enable us to even spend that money that's suddenly appearing in our accounts. You know, uh, a lot of small businesses are 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 shut down uh, either uh, either because they couldn't stay afloat or because they're not allowed to reopen in in some capacity, and so. It's it's kind of like it reminds me of um, corporations like Walmart, for example, mm-hmm. where they would they would give their employees a bonus, but it's not money you could spend anywhere. It's it's like a coupon for uh, it's like a coupon to be spent at Walmart, you know, for example. It reminds me a lot of that where uh, we'll get into this a little bit later. But Biden's acting like, oh, this is he calls it the American rescue bill, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, is which is a complete misnomer because you know he's giving you money yes but he's well not him but his administration is playing mm-hmm. a heavy hand in controlling how you spend that money and that's not even uh, getting into uh, the 90% of the bill that's not uh, that's completely unrelated to covid well well the way they phrased it in, in the covid bill it was deemed to lift children out of poverty that was mm-hmm. one of the taglines mm-hmm. and that was like an attention grabber and so if we think about it so $300 a month and what they said by 12 so for a year that's three thousand six hundred dollars that they'd give to anyone that's under 17 so in 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 that age group and so this is deemed to lift someone out of poverty and so that like caught my attention i guess because that's not even 12 percent in a year of what a 15 dollar proposed minimum wage would be even the federal minimum wage now which is what seven and a half dollars somewhere around there even that would be just a week's wage which they're giving to a person a month. And so that kind of like brings up the question for me, um, wouldn't it be better? How is this going to lift someone out of poverty if they're out of a job? If, say, children who are that age, they are working in restaurants, they are making this money, and so their source of income isn't there because most restaurants are closed down. They're not working as much as they should be. So a lot of these people are out of jobs. $300 seems like a drop in the ocean even compared to the minimum wage? What if someone was making more? So that is kind of my question and my like original thoughts on this is... And it seems like it's it's a temporary band-aid, no matter how, how yep. you know, how, how you take it. It's, it's for a limited time only. It's going to be gone in three months. And so 
I guess there, there's an argument out there. Why don't we then invest this money into infrastructure, state infrastructure, or maybe in yep. some kind of programs that are you know specifically locally would not just give the money to the people, but rather I guess give them a step up to you know. And uh, the biggest thing with this is why don't we just reopen the economy? We've been holding it back for so long, and I would say that you know looking around, people are slowly you know opening up. There's you know the churches stores resorts coffee shops you know people are slowly getting back to normal if they were just allowed to make smart decisions you know to make mm-hmm. choices for themselves uh maybe we wouldn't have to hand out money you know and say here here's you know thousand bucks for you i hope you will get better from this so um maybe we could have just found a better way to have something that would have a lasting impact rather than something that would disappear in a in a few in a few months and then the, there's the question of who gets the bill for the bill right i mean uh, the, uh, currently as it stands we we have a growing debt which apparently has been growing since 1830s um and it stands right now at 23.3 trillion dollars again complex issue this kind of stimulus will be added to the pile it just for me personally it just seems like you're throwing money at a problem you're like here, I hope this money fixes everything that's going wrong with the economy, everything here, just take this money and be free, you know, when really that's not how it works. You have to put in, like you've mentioned, you have to put in Mm -hmm. a lot more thought, like, is it worth to open the economy? Is it worth like taking other actions that I think should be really thought through and not just fighting just to throw more money at a problem that can be solved without this money and this debt? And I know that uh, if you looked at the details, there is, um, um, let me see if I have the exact number. I think it's twenty, yeah, twenty-eight point six billion to help businesses that were hurt by pandemic. Yeah, if you can do the math on that, it's some, <laughs> some somewhere in a few. Per, it's a few percent. It's a small percentage in comparison to the to the yep, huge absolutely. lump sum. Yeah. So maybe that's where the focus should have been. So people might feel truly blessed by receiving that check in their account. You know, the government gave them the help and and might even conclude that well whatever this bill is it must be doing some good because i'm getting the tax credit for the children getting a check myself you know right when you when you actually look into the bill and what's in it you realize that this is not necessarily an empowering bill i mean the government has been sort of crippling the economy like it's one thing when the pandemic just began we take some measures it's another thing when we take a whole year and you know things are changing things are shifting in the nation and and people are ready to go back to normal and the government has been the one that was holding back so there's a difference between empowering and then you know crippling and throwing in a stimulus check so to conclude i you know we we're responsible stewards of the resources that we get on this earth you know whether it be the things that we have or money in this case and um i guess as christians you know we can benefit it's not new the idea that the government you know is offering uh, take rome for example in the first century there was an extensive welfare program uh and christians used it you know as much as they could doesn't mean that they agreed with the policies or with the government at that time. And I think that that's important to keep the two separated. Um, and it, well, as far as the money goes, you know, be responsible with the money that you receive because uh, it's meant to boost the economy or somehow help us. So hopefully you don't use that money for, you know, save regularly, regularly and invest wisely. The next story that we have uh, for this week is Biden's primetime address. So it's been 49 51 days since he has spoken to the media openly. 
or hasn't spoken it for that matter. Well, he's, he really still hasn't. He, he took yeah. no questions after just yeah. reading out <laughs> that statement. Yeah. He ran away. <laughs> yep. So 51 days, right, it's been quiet. But a few days ago, uh, he did address uh, the nation. It's a year since coronavirus took hold, so it was like a very important moment. And Biden aimed to bring some fresh hope, ask the nation to work towards a new normal, which I think might be an impossible task. The disconnect from reality is where I think the effort will fall short. So Biden said, if we do everything right, if we wear masks, if we don't rush, and maybe, just maybe, then we'll sit down to eat dinner with our families by 4th of July. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the other things he mentioned is that all the adults will be eligible for the vaccine by May 1st, which is six weeks away. You could get, I guess, the logistics figured out to distribute so much vaccines, but can you actually administer all of them? Mm -hmm. I know he mentioned a lot of details about deploying more troops and vaccine is a big message in this whole thing. Vaccine will bring us back to the normal realities, what the message was. But I wonder if that will cause more division. So for example, this personal question, but will you take the vaccine? So I have a long winded answer, but I'm not against vaccines because in Russia, when I was growing up, I got vaccinated with who knows what, you know, and I still have a, I have a like a thing on my arm that proves that I got vaccinated in Russia when I was a kid. So I, I know that, and I'm as, as far as I think of myself, I think I'm growing up completely fine without any side effects, but um, still, you know, with this vaccine, I'd be very hesitant because doing the research, knowing that other vaccines that were produced, um, it took them about five years and some vaccines even took 10 years to get um you know through the testing phase trial and error and then while they were released to the public you know and so this one was released in a year which we're still not sure of the side effects we're still not sure what is going to happen and i feel like you really can't be certain at this point and if anyone says um they are then that's kind of um you know that's a lie um because we the, the we clearly didn't have enough time and so another thing um, with Biden's address that I've noticed is that he said, like you mentioned, Alex, he said, mm-hmm. maybe. So if everyone, he said, if every American gets vaccinated, if everyone socially distanced, if everyone wears masks, then maybe mm-hmm. we're going to be able to meet on, you know, the 4th of July. So, and listening to what Dr. Fauci also said, who is the chief medical advisor to the president, you know, he kind of mentioned that even after that vaccine, you're still supposed to wear a mask. You're still supposed to socially distance, like basically keep these precautions. And so he also mentioned that he thinks the vaccines will only work for six months. And after six months, you might have to get vaccinated again. What's the so my question is, what's the point? And so the reason I won't take it is because it seems like this is not going to change your way of life. It's not going to help you see your friends or go out into public or do anything that you would without the vaccine. Um, uh, You still have to socially distance, do all of these things. And it's not even certain that it's going to protect you because Dr. Fauci mentioned that he'd only be certain that the vaccine would protect you against COVID if it was 100% effective. I wouldn't take it personally because there's still a lot of things that are unaccounted for, like what kind of side effects it would have. And honestly, it's not going to change your way of life. So me personally, I would wait off to take it. Um, But what about you, Vadim? I feel like it's important to think about... uh, because because the vaccination is such an invasive mm-hmm. uh, invasive step to take related to your personal autonomy, mm-hmm. of course. So you should think about intent. Why is this being given to me? And also 
why am I doing this? But from a personal perspective, you know, if you look over a list of ingredients and you look at it and, it's like, and uh, you can say in good conscience, okay, we can put this into my body, then, and you feel like you're at risk and that this will greatly benefit you, of course, then I don't really see a problem. I mean, we've taken vaccines before. The thing is to consider mm -hmm. is the intent with the vaccine being kind of pushed on you, not not in the sense that he's he's mandated anything yet, but we it seems like we're heading in that direction where uh, not only are you demonized for your opinion uh, opposing any any vaccine, also we might see uh, we might see the development of of a caste system where we discriminate. Um, where we discriminate based on someone who has a vaccine and someone who doesn't. Mm -hmm. For example, I wouldn't be surprised if, for example, the Canadian border would require would begin to require right. some kind of check of your medical records. Um, I mean, it, I be it began with the whole, uh, you know, like the COVID test. You 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 have to take it. You know, enter. Yeah. I mean, that's kind Turn of became the, the standard. US, yeah. 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 Any kind of international travel. Well, I, that's the thing. I don't know. I haven't traveled north in a while. But is that is the Canadian border still close to no quote-unquote non-essential travel? Um, I, think I just know if you're flying in from any country, so including Canada, you have to get tested three days prior to um, when you're entering the United States. You know, that's an aspect of it, but also to consider, you know, the beginnings of a, this is kind of a scary word to use, but a caste system where uh, there's kind of a different level of, of citizenship. For example, he's already saying, like, there's a lot, the... Well, not not Joe Biden necessarily, but the CDC released a statement saying people that have been vaccinated are now allowed these uh, these privileges. Mm -hmm. Like you can, you're allowed to gather in uh, in you know in the safety of your own home with somebody from one other household or something like that. So that's already uh, that's discrimination by definition, right? So um, that's something to be wary of, I think. When something to be wary of, intent of. Uh, who's providing the vaccine and the intent of the person receiving vaccine. Let's think about in the future, if we did end up, like you said, having this caste system or faction system where, say, people who took the COVID test, they were allowed to travel. They were, I mean, the COVID vaccine, sorry. If, they're if they have the vaccine, they're allowed to travel. They're allowed to go to work. They're allowed to go to restaurants. But you have to, like, prove it somehow to someone. Um, now, if life differed, like, let's say you weren't even allowed to work, unless you took the vaccine, would you take it? Um, maybe with a little background information, you know, like from the Bible, where it says in the end days, there would be a mark that you have to take. Do you think this could potentially be the mark of the beast? Or like, do you think that this is just overplayed? Because I'm sure there are conspiracy theories out there. Yeah, of course. I mean, obviously, that's kind of the elephant in the room in any kind of these discussions where we uh, we talk about overreach of government or, mm -hmm. you know, invasion of our personal autonomy. Um, I think that uh, if it's not, uh, if it's not the mark of the beast indicated by by scripture, then uh, it very well could be it could be a precedent. Or, uh, to make it more acceptable when it does come. Take things one at a time and uh, we'll... Yeah, and, and, and that's kind of what I wanted to point out is that I'm sure most people aren't taking it and they're scared because of this point, which, um, you know, like, could it be something, like, in the end days, could it be something that, well, if you've read Revelation in the Bible, you know. But I, I just think we can't overplay it as well. Like, oftentimes, like it was said 
in Russia, we had these vaccines that we took that might be a lot more dangerous for us than this vaccine is, you know. Um, but we took it, you know, and we're fine and we're living and, you know, every everything is going great. So I definitely think we have to take a more, um, like, just have a better perception on it, on it. Like, do your research, know why you're not taking it. And if it's just like, if it actually is going to in the future be improved and it's actually going to work and it's actually going to help, then I don't think I would have a problem with taking it. Mm-hmm. I think what we're afraid of is the forced part, right? Yeah. If this was an, as uh, you know, an optional thing, nobody would. I mean, there's still people be questioning it. But when it's something becomes forced, then we are concerned. There's, there's the time when our freedoms are going to be taken away because it begins with little and this is something intrusive and into my body and so on. But is it <laughs> the, you know, the like the chips and the vaccine, you know, all of that? Yep, yep. I, I, I would argue that, you know, this it's not clear enough yet. And so I, I, I wouldn't even go. But that's what that they direction. want you to think, Alex. <laughs> that's what they do. Um, so in that sense... Uh, I think there's been a, a lot of um, resistance towards medical mm, progress in general in the past century to things that we now take as normal. Mm. And so there is a, you know, there's there's some truth to that. But another side is that today facts are really <coughs> in the hands of the beholder. I mean, whoever presents the facts to you and says these are the facts, is you, you kind of go with that. And especially if it's science or doctors, then you kind of, sort of expect this trust to them automatically and yet we've learned that even scientists and doctors can be wrong mm-hmm. and so because we're still developing because we're s- learning so much and because there is such a opposition strong opposition on the other side with very strong arguments i think in those kind of matters we should have our freedoms and, and i get it we want to you know I, I see why there's this drive to push you know vaccination because we want to have the confidence to go back yeah. out we want to, you know, the consumerism to resume because that will add back to the economy. We want the concerts to open, the stadiums and so on. But the deal is America has been already reopening. So to say that, well, we'll let you reopen if you follow our rules is kind of a backwards thing because, hey, the country is already moving forward. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had a chance to be nine states last year, been to Texas this year, and I can tell you that from where we went, there's people are already been doing what Biden is expecting us to give to us if we behave. And so I see that as we go forward with this, you know, there's been the, uh, they released a statement on why, or on uh, the new guidelines for people who are vaccinated can now gather in, in groups and, you know, all mm-hmm. of that. Yep. It, caste system is the word that you used in the beginning. Yeah, it seems like we're heading towards where there, this might cause more division because of the, you know, vilifying the people who won't take the vaccine or who will say, no, I don't think that that's a necessary step for me to, you know, for the economy to reopen. The government should 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 take a position where people are smart enough to make their own decisions. Um, remember back in the days, masks don't work. Yep. You guys shouldn't wear them. Don't freak out. Don't buy them out. Next statement was only nine N95 works, right? Yep. And then I just remember that d- this is all Dr. Fauci, by the way, mm-hmm. um, who was saying that masks don't work. You shouldn't wear them. And then all of a sudden, now masks do work and you should wear them. And then at one point, I remember, I forgot exactly when it was, but this was in 2020. They asked would they asked Dr. Fauci, would you go on a cruise? And he's like, no, personally, I wouldn't go on a cruise, but I think it's completely safe. Mm-hmm. I think it was like March of last year. That was just funny to me. It's just how everything is changing. And like the point that you brought up, you don't know. Like you honestly don't know what's going to happen. And if this vaccine is even going to work, if it worked, like what if... Two, two years down the road, they look back and say, oh, this vaccine was a complete fail. 
We don't know that. And only time will tell, as we know from history, with this vaccine and from history, looking back, um, I'm not going to get into it, but you just have to wait and see. Yep. yep. And now it's, I think it's two masks and then and then it was goggles added to that, you know. And again, yep. keep in mind, this is guidance. And I think if we kept it as guidance, most people would be okay with that. As a guidance, perfect. I mean, I can make safe choices about, do I go out? Do I stay inside? Just use Amazon to order things? You know, do I reach out to a family member who can help me help me and so on? Mm-hmm. But we've learned lockdowns don't work. Um, and it's nice to have states, you know, approach the question differently. And so I guess with all of this, people can make their own decisions. And, um, you know, that's part of being on the conservative side is that you think that there should be less government in life. Just enough to maintain the, the country, to, to have, you know, an army to protect, to have a government, you know, in place to, to regulate some things. But the less government in life the better it is, you know, the more responsibility on the people's shoulders and then they're responsible for the results they get. And so I think a lot of this is coordinated coordinated effort to continue with a certain political angle. Like, like I mentioned, this week the guidance has been released how vaccinated people can resume some normal activities. Then Wednesday, so that was on Monday, then on Wednesday you have the Congress approving the bill and then Thursday Biden addresses the nation and you see this whole, you know, narrative of like... Um, the antidote to pandemic is vaccine and the $1.9 trillion bill that we given. Help is on the way or help is here, if you will. So hmm. I think vaccine should be a private choice and not something that is forced on people. Yep. It's your body and you should have a say in what's being injected into you, whether it's good or bad. And the third top story of this week, that's the Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. You know, with all their grandeur and official facade of... Uh, royalty as i was looking at it you know you realize behind it all lies mere human nature and with its ugly mm-hmm. problems and of course oprah took the opportunity and well in the channel um, that she works for it took the opportunity to amplify the message of racism hegemony how do you say that word i know what it means i, I think it's hegemony is it hegemony or hegemony it could be wrong hegemony. Yeah. hegemony yeah the idea that um you know there's these patriarchal structures in society that pretty much keep it down and they need to be broken down. Um, but anyway, so yeah, they, they amplify this message, you know, across the pond essentially because it's been a national conversation for a while. Racism, hegemon, hegemony, hegem- basically the patriarchal, this, you know, the issues with our society right now. We want to restructure, rethink it. There's this, you know, critical theory perspective on, on how we should be as a country going forward. And so now I feel like this conversation expanded internationally and so there's two things that i pulled out from you know looking at the story one is mental health and the other one is the question of racism so we'll begin with mental health you know i have no problem believing that she struggled with because one of the things she mentioned is um well let's go over a few things she said she's dealing with um in dealing with the new demands of living and working with royal family she contemplated suicide then she also dealt with racism comments from beginning uh, there was also mention of the relationship between Harry and his father, Prince Charles, that they deteriorated and he felt let down and that they were cut off financially uh, and that there's no royal security protection as they left the royal family. So that's kind of the overview of what they talked about, major points. But yeah, she, she talked about how she contemplated suicide and I guess many people didn't think that she was honest or truthful about it. And so I have no problem seeing that she struggled with it. 
I think that, you know, the possessions of this world, not even being married to the, you know, prince, being part of the royal family, you know, will protect you from uh, feeling depressed, especially if there is no God in your life. Now, she mentioned that uh, she did say that her faith in God helped her along the way. And, but I think mental health is an issue that deserves better attention, like within the church, within our societies, and especially so as the pandemic, you know, kind of pressed on us. It, like, we'll, we'll probably see even more of this as we go forward, like what this year of isolation or partial isolation mm-hmm. has caused us. Talking about it from that perspective, um, I completely agree. Like, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but there has been an increase in, you know, drug abuse. There's been an increase in, especially people our age and younger, because they don't know what to do with their time. They're sitting at home. And so in a sense, like reverting a little bit back to the story, to the, you know, COVID bill where they threw money at the problem, vaccines, there you go, you should be all fixed, good to go, which they're not talking about the mental damage, the emotional damage, Mm -hmm. the people that really are cooped up in their home. And I work from home and I know if you're stuck there for too long, you know, that also takes an effect on you. With the churches, for example, being closed, you know, for, for a person of faith, church is a place where you, you know, you come to join your family faith family and you you recharge and you get inspired and you get into the word together and fellowship is important it's not just a you know just watching somebody's sermon online if you will but it's also being in felt being, being in physical um i guess in the same space with with, with the people that you know uh, are your brothers and sisters and so that being taken away takes its toll you know and like in, in church being the place of hope the traditional place of hope in a society right has been away for a year for many people you know some are blessed more than others to have you know church services and in some capacity right Mm -hmm. but it does take its toll and so i think that we should just you know pay attention to those around us and not dismiss this subject lightly which is what i saw online you know like it was like hey they have everything why why is she complaining you know suicide really you got everything you want i i don't think we should ever address this because all it takes is a one decision right Absolutely. In yeah. the darkest times and then it's it's over. Yeah, I think that mental health is definitely 99% of the focus of this story because, I mean, it's looking at it from the side, kind of, mm-hmm. um, just kind of a very quick surface glance. It The the whole race angle that, she, um, that Oprah took and amplified mm-hmm. was, uh, that was completely ingenuine. It, because it's we can completely disregard it looking at it from a mental health angle you know how could you not expect to to walk into what's you know buckingham palace you know it's we see kind of from the fallout Mm -hmm, of this mm -hmm. that it's really just kind of a gold-plated birdcage like Mm -hmm. i don't know what she expected um in going into it i really don't think race was much of an issue and had having to do with their uh, with their leaving um leaving forever and you know, cutting themselves off essentially from the royal royal line, because if if the royal family was concerned about her race, uh, she's half half African American or something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if they were concerned about her race, they wouldn't bring it up when they're uh, when they're talking about the the children, the offspring they're gonna have, right? They would have brought it up when he was when Prince Harry was thinking about marrying her and bringing her into the family. And that's not to say that that maybe it wasn't mentioned, like people kind of speculating on you know what it what someone's baby is going to look like. That's normal conversation. And maybe it was with intent to protect the baby, you know, from, from potential 
hate from the media or the public or something like that. Maybe mm-hmm. it was said with good intent and she misunderstood. Maybe it's something else. Uh, but either way, this is a classic situation of, like you said, the human nature. Uh, and in the sense that you are responsible for uh, for knowing what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. And, you know, marrying the royal family is... It, it's playing out for her. It's a classic situation of, you know, play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. <laughs> and that's, like, how could you not expect... Um, so, so we have this huge history of royal families always, like, there's these feuds going on, you know, from generation to generation, and the, what did it all of a sudden stop in the 20th century? Like, it, it Yeah, I mean, yeah, she was blinded by the... By the prospect, I guess, I guess the of, of, of being of being even sure. elevated celebrity. I don't know. Like Alex, you brought up that mental health is an issue. I 100% agree. Um, I just, and I think I'm not questioning whether she went through it. I'm just questioning why this got so much coverage. Like mm. is th- this is yeah. She she might have went through all these things, and the thing that like jumped out at me from this story, she mentioned that even the Buckingham Palace staff, mm. like therapists, doctors, they wouldn't like look at her because Mm. she wasn't on paid staff which i think she's wealthy enough she's probably the average american she has more money than they'd ever see in their lifetime this person is wealthy if she needed she could hire a private therapist that would see her every week that would work with her this is like if she actually had a mental issue she could have solved it but like why is this just pushed out there as like oh she's having these issues she's facing this racism when and this is a huge story you know when if you look at if we're going to do international coverage, if we're going to look at other countries, mm-hmm. there's much better stories to cover. Like there's people, there's there's women who can't even drive mm-hmm. cars because of the government and laws in the countries that they live in. There's slavery, there's um, sex trafficking. There's so much going on with women that are actually struggling, that are actually going through much more mental uh, damage, much more physical damage, much more racism than she is. But like, why is this? Why is she the pinnacle of, oh, look at all this racism that exists in this world when I just, I, I think this is a bit over-exaggerated. And I think on a daily basis, um, you know, there's more people who go through more racism, who go through more mental damage than her. But all of a sudden she, like, this family is just put up. And in a sense, I think it's a little over-exaggerated, but that just might be my yeah. opinion. Well, the issues were brought for a purpose. And like, like we've been saying, a political purpose to cause a certain reaction. Yep. And so... Some see them as heroes standing up for the future of the family, marriage, children, mental health, racism, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And others see them as whining, privileged attention seekers, if you will. So I don't think it's up to us to draw the judgment, but we ought to pay attention, I think, to the messages that are being reinforced again and again. And this idea that we must rewrite the societies because of systemic racism that exists, as they say, not just here in the U.S., but everywhere else. And I think that's part of the reason why it came up in international news is because of the claims of racist comment, which, you know, if that happened is wrong, but it's not reflective of the society as a whole. So these are very quick stories. Some of the things that don't make it into, I guess, our deeper discussions. Um, We're just reading the headlines and kind of go over some of the smaller details. Um, the top one on the list I have here is looks like Elon Musk is plugging a giant battery into Texas grid. So last week, I guess the previous week, the week before there was this whole, uh, or the two weeks, was it two weeks? It was two weeks. Uh, they're still kind of bouncing back from it, yeah. but yeah, it was, it peaked kind of uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. So I found it that, that it was interesting that Musk is 
now that he's a resident of the state, he is uh, looking at, you know, economic opportunities for his company. And I think it's it, it's kind of fitting. I, You know, I was talking to my wife about it. I think it's a good thing what happened to Texas because they will now harden the system. They will go and fix some of the problems and uh, probably come out stronger with for the next 10, 20 years. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Um I know Elon Musk had a lot of success with this in Southern Australia with the uh, Hornsdale Power Reserve. Mm -hmm. um, and so stuff like this where the Tesla, um, I know there's a product called the Tesla Powerwall where it's it's essentially just a huge battery. And he makes a whole field of these. Uh, mm -hmm. that, could be a, a, that could be a huge asset to the local power grid, um, not only in preventing um, kind of surges and uh, lack of uh, lack of voltage, mm -hmm. Uh, but also it could help mitigate a complete shutdown, which would mm. be disastrous. And we got dangerously close to that um, yep. with this weather development. And I know that they've been doing it in Hawaii, uh, the whole power grid. Right? There's there's this plant in Hawaii, from what I understand. I haven't looked at other places, but I think it's a great start. Texas is a great place to, you know, if unless it's implemented somewhere. I haven't seen it. Maybe Cali. Um, next one on the list is Roblox. Um, so we've had this craze with GameStop and... Uh, what was before that dog coin and then <laughs> bitcoin and whatnot doge doge coin doge. doge i don't think it's doge i thought it was doge doge no, because it of doge. it's doge well that it's like the gift gift gif argument yeah okay i thought doge sounds fine all right <laughs> doge. all right uh well anyway so with all of that roblox just came out roblox is is like this game i guess for kids and it was interesting because it's sort of like well we had Fortnite at some point like last year i think it was big or the year before was big so roblox is another game um, gaming market exploded they said there was 57 billion spent on games in 2020 so that's that's a large chunk of you know our money going back i guess there's the stimulus checks going back into <laughs> to the gaming market of all places not to the coffee shops not to the things that you know but anyways uh, went 30% from last year. So there was a 30% increase in spending. On so, so that begs the question is, what are people actually using the stimulus money for? Is it actually because mm -hmm. they're in poverty or is it because they're just investing? And obviously, yeah, a lot of them started investing and I have as well, but yep. besides the point. But anyway, so there's Roblox. <laughs> I think the amount of money being, being poured into uh, the video game market and just the virtual world in general, uh, it leads us... Uh, you know, obviously, it's an indicator of people sitting at home with nothing to do, uh, nowhere to go. However, it does lead us into the next story, which, you know, this is something we're going to be following for mm -hmm. keeping a close eye on. Because NFTs are uh, non-fungible tokens. Non-fungible basically means it's, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it means it's unique and, uh, like, the code is distinguishable from right. from any other digital copy, right? So it could be like a like a JPEG image, or it could be a GIF. Um, and so now these are selling as collectibles. You know, the original uh, the original has a coded signature on it. So, for example, we had the Nyan Cat GIF. Mm -hmm. uh, it sold for over half a million. Uh, so okay, so it's it's a literally an an image, like a little blinking image on your screen. Yes. But the one that you bought has a piece of code in it or something in the back that makes it unique to just you. Nobody else in the world has that piece of code. Now, I could have the same image displayed on my computer, right? Yes. And, and you would, would absolutely not be able to tell the difference. I think that's this is just people with way too much money on their hands. And how much was it sold for? The Nyan Cat was sold for 580000 Yeah. or whatever equivalent in cryptocurrency. Sure. 
Um, and so, you know, this is not only collectibles, but a lot of artists are starting to do like exclusive content or release to basically selling unique things on the internet versus something that could just be copied, which okay. it still could be. But if you own it, how likely are you going to be to give it out for free? Um, the next story that you wrote, the Milo. Milianopolis is a is a pretty as a pretty iconic figure in the conservative scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has his own he has his own conservative talk show. He's a bit of a provocateur kind of. He just likes to get under people's skin, uh, and so that's why he um, you know he's a he he expresses conservative views, but he's very uh, up until recently this interview uh, he's been very uh, open about his uh, his sexual orientation. And so he's he's married to a man, um, mm-hmm. but in this interview he expressed a desire to uh, to really dedicate his life to Christ, or he says Church of Saint Joseph. But um, mm-hmm. you know, in a sense, he's uh, he's re- rejecting this lifestyle that he lived. Uh, he says in this interview, he, you know, his husband has been demoted to housemate, um, and okay. so mm-hmm. something that if if you know if you've been following Milo at all, you know that he's kind of, he's fond of. Um, kind of making rifts and just being kind of outrageous. Uh, so something to follow. Um, is he a role model? Probably not. Uh, in the <laughs> same way that Kanye West's, you know, his conversion to Christianity, we, uh, you know, we support him, obviously, but mm-hmm. keep an eye on it. Talking about lifestyles and, uh, you know, life choices and c- kind of things that are out there. Um, Arzim, the organization that was founded by Ravi Zacharias, um, because of the legacy that unfortunately he left, they basically made the decision that they will no longer do apologetics, which is probably fitting. I thought maybe they would, you know, turn to help the victims of sexual abuse or something, but it looks like uh, what they came out and said that they're going to be offering grants to other organizations. So, what are so they? Are they completely like diverging from like Christian based, I, or are they just no, shutting down, or what are they doing? I haven't uh, read the article in depth. I was just uh, seeing that they're going to be helping out other causes by offering grants, but they're definitely stepping away from Christian apologetics. There's, hmm. there's okay. just no way probably to redeem. I don't really see, I I don't know if, how much of a like, good move that is because in a sense, like they're providing a product and they've been refining that process for so long. Uh, I mean, Ravi Zacharias was huge. Is it a better step to completely get rid of that aspect that uh, you were so successful at? Well, obviously, um, you know, Ravi Zacharias scandal. But you, there was there was ways to mitigate. Um, there was ways to prevent and provide, um, kind of give more accountability uh, measures to where Ravi Zacharias wouldn't have been allowed to get away with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so implement that. Obviously, learn from learn from this huge scandal, um, but also change the name so people are not associated with. I feel like that's a better way to disassociate from Ravi Zacharias versus uh, stopping doing what you're doing. And finally, um, this the last story that we're gonna take a look at here in our quick review is the 91% of churchgoers say they'll return to service. <laughs> so they did this uh, Christian poll, and I think. Uh, yeah, they were saying that ninety-one percent of church goers says that they will be back to church. I I thought we're already back to. Ch- I mean, it, it's an interesting poll because I thought most churches are, do have now like a by, what a dual approach. Like you have an online version, but you also can 
limited you know seating i, g- I guess in the states where you can't do that mm-hmm. but that was an interesting one because yeah returning to churches those people who've um you know spend a whole year without going to the church might say why do i need to even go back yeah and i, I definitely think that's a that's a problem nowadays is that people you know it's just comfortable like you think about it it's you sit at home you could have coffee you could you know have breakfast you could eat you could do all these things and just listen to the church service in the background you know it's it's very convenient but uh, going out to church it it seems like a hassle nowadays and so Mm -hmm. i'm wondering this is just a poll right what Mm -hmm. is actually going to happen when the time passes when covid is officially you know gone are people actually going to return to church yeah i think the poll mentions that pastor said that now they see up to 70 percent of uh their Mm -hmm. people coming back like from the actual numbers so we're yet to see well that's it for our quick stories for today um and now we have our final uh two of the top five This I, I think is a sto- is a, is a major story that should be covered by anybody that considers themselves by anybody that considers themselves a you know intellectual even <laughs> e- even loosely you know a journalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a country um, that maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. It's uh, called Myanmar, formerly known as Burma. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a pretty sizable country between Thailand, India, and China, kind of. Uh, uh, nestled in there, yeah, it was under South British Asia, rules. East Asia, yeah, Southeast Asia. Southeast. Um, so it was under British rule until the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, uh, declared independence. Uh, after that, it was under military government. There's kind of brief lapses where the people are given democratic elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pa- it kind of developed a pattern where the the people would overwhelmingly vote for a democratic federal state mm-hmm. uh and then this will be closely followed by a military coup so this this repeated a few times and with with it you know comes the expected abuse of power um and atrocities towards minorities dissidents uh, notably christians and muslims which are a minority in that country uh leading up to this story you know 2015 elections uh kind of broke that pattern um the government was included into the ASEAN, which is Association of Southeast Asian Nations, government and military remained in a kind of tense equilibrium all through the next five years until 2020, uh, where they had more elections. And so the military has kind of a proxy party in that government. And so they lost uh, that election in a landslide. Uh, Before we get into what followed after that, you know, let's take a moment to reflect on some of the key issues uh, that have come up in our nation's politics. You know, forget the pandemic. We, we talk about it so much. The, you know, we have calls for police reform, defund the police. You know, uh, last year or maybe the year before, we had um, the Me Too movement kind of exploded mm-hmm. where, where there was calls to, uh, you know, for a good cause, obviously, but to bypass due process um, and to believe all victims. As soon as accusations are made, then we should, we should uh, assume the worst, right? Uh, and so bypassing kind of the due process through that. Um, and then obviously questions about election integrity. And so you guys might recall, you know, after our recent elections, uh, the media was was growing hysterical. The idea that Trump uh, would not would not concede and give a transition of power that was peaceful yes, yes. and he would get the military involved. Uh, you know, if you actually look at what the White House looks at looks like now, uh, you see quite a bit more military involvement uh, under the Biden administration. But disregarding that, you know, this is this is something that happens in a country without law and order. This is something that happens without a tradition of due process because you can dispute elections, and all that stuff, rather than 
having a coup and beating and killing people. So the proxy party to the military in Myanmar lost in a landslide early last month. Uh, early last month, the military, they organized a coup. They cut all the communication lines. Uh, they arrested the prime minister. They uh, seized administrative buildings and established curfews for the public. Mm -hmm. uh, so the people, they're not about to lose what, uh, what little freedom they had. They take up opposition, uh, either through protest or guerrilla gangs with their ethnic groups. The military, of course, meets the opposition with arrests, beatings, torture. Uh, many citizens see it as a cause worth dying for. Uh, and we see the violence has it petered out. Uh, even a month in. So as of Thursday, 60 protesters have been killed. 2,000 uh, have been detained by security forces. You can assume that, depending on their cooperation, they're probably being tortured or um, mm -hmm. you know, something of the sort as they're being interrogated. And the faces of protest leaders are broadcast on state television, which is, of course, controlled by, uh, by the military party, and calling for them to be uh, turned in. Uh, so the UN Security Council uh, this week, here's the story, has called for the military to stop the violence. But more importantly, what they did not say was they didn't condemn the coup uh, or acknowledge it as a coup or threaten any further action. Uh, it's, all, it's pretty transparent. This was because of opposition from regional superpowers like Russia, China, India. This is a huge foreign policy test for President Biden. Uh, we know he received a lot of criticism about it leading up to the election. Uh, it was talked about a lot. Um, and so here's what the U.S. has done uh, in response. Uh, so the Treasury Department imposed sanctions on the children of this military leader, the General Min. You know, they own six companies in Myanmar, so they put sanctions on those, uh, mostly symbolic. So also conveniently, a few days before the coup, $350 million in cash foreign aid was transferred to Myanmar through the International Monetary Fund. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not saying it was all U.S. money, but a, a, a big chunk of it was, I'm sure. Uh, so it's becoming clear that we're, there's no waiting for the violence to peter out. This coup is a huge test for Biden. But what's to be done when local nations, they have the principle of not interfering in internal affairs? Like uh, the ones that are bordering yeah, the country? Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, this, this coalition, ASEAN. Mm -hmm. um, you know, is it more symbolic sanctions? Impose sanctions on China to pressure them to get involved? Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, I'm just wondering, like, what, what do we do historically you know, like, and what kind of effect does it, like, well, you know, it's like, there, it depends if there's oil in the country. Or the, not. Right, <laughs> the, the neighbor, you know, like. We're a month into this, and we see that inaction is not, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's not stabilizing by itself. Um, it's only a matter of time before somebody starts sponsoring the, the resistance or helping out the military, um, which could escalate into a proxy war very quick. You know, as, as believers, uh, here's why we should be concerned. There's a Christian minority population in in Myanmar, mm -hmm. uh, and the removal of their religious liberties, uh, we've seen it, how it plays out in, uh, you know, in the days before kind of this democratic, federal, uh, relatively peaceful time, right? But, you know, we've seen the gospel growing by leaps and bounds in, in these few years of freedom, prosperity. Uh, you know, obviously we're hopeful and prayerful uh, as we watch this story to develop that everything works together for the mm -hmm. good. We've all spent some time in this country or know people who have. Uh, is there an obvious course of action for uh, for the church that's in Yangon, one of the biggest cities. Uh, you know, do you support the protesters? Do you submit to an oppressive military? Keep in mind, Jesus said to Pontius Pilate that you would have no power if it wasn't given to you from above. Well, that's a, it's a doozy of a question, and I don't know <laughs> if I could fully answer that. But I do know that um, from my time when I visited Myanmar, even then when there wasn't this coup going on, there's still a heavy Buddhist population that was there. And so the church was getting oppressed 
either way. Um, I know some churches had a cover-up for being like a soccer team. And so um, they would come, and as part of the soccer team organization, they would gather, and that's how they would have church ser- church service with other people coming in. So the, the Christians there are always oppressed, and I feel like this adds on to it, like you said. This is just a tough time for the church, and I think without being there, um, I wouldn't know. What, like what to recommend besides like if you are Christian praying helping if you find a charity then giving to them of course but what course of action they should take I I wouldn't know and political action what the other countries around should do this is um, a tough question as well because if you jump in you don't know who's funding what side like what if someone's funding like you said there's this 350 million dollars that somehow appeared would this just cause a war would this somehow escalate into another world war? Like, you never know. That's why it's always, I think a lot of countries are hesitant in like fully going in and saying, all right, we're here to stop it because what if there's another country backing it? All of a sudden, it's a lot more than it was before. So it's definitely a difficult situation. I think a question for Christians is one thing. Christian, a question for uh, the rest of the citizens is, you know, as Christians, we're called to be the salt, I guess, and light to yeah. the world. And, and so in that capacity, as citizens, we have a responsibility then to, well, as much as it peacefully possible to affect the mm-hmm. policies, affect those around us. This relates to our country as well as it is to the other one. What if today there was an overthrow of power? What if something happened in this country? To what extent we ought to you know, stand up for rebuilding the country, standing for one side or the other? I think to an extent to where it peacefully makes sense. Now you know conservatives vary on on you know because we could go to the pacifism or we could go to you know the whole taking up arms and there's christians on both sides of that question but i think ultimately whatever is peaceful and uh, you know we're we're not going to reestablish the kingdom here on earth but however we can contribute like being the salt and being the light is is probably going to be a blessing to the people that we are you know, living around with, uh, you know, I guess the key takeaway is what, how, what does this have to do with us? It's on the other side of the world. Obviously we're concerned about, uh, about the people of Myanmar, um, and what they're going through, but think about, you know, going back to the idea of human nature, our depravity runs really deep. You know, we have a lot of safeguard, uh, a lot of safeguards in place in the U S to prevent this from happening, but those are being, they're being shaken in terms of wanting to throw away, due process. I know this wasn't explicitly stated, but it, it's fairly obvious that we're, in, we're constantly pushing that boundary. You know, calls to defund the police who's supposed to protect us, not only from ourselves, but uh, or from each other, but f- from uh, anyone trying to oppress us. Uh, calls to curb our rights to defend ourselves as well. We should, you know, silver lining, right? We should be grateful that the U.S. hasn't descended into the state yet. Uh, although we see the story that many of the in- same ingredients that are active in Myanmar are active here. We should take careful attention in looking at progressive initiatives and things that um, look at it, I would say, in a cynical way. Things like defund the police, gun control, all that stuff. What's the worst case scenario? And I think we're, you know, if we watch this story carefully, we'll see it play out in the next few weeks. And so, you know, in kind of in the same vein of looking looking kind of cynically and critically at many progressive initiatives. Uh, I believe our, my co-host Paul 
uh, has a story that that can relate to this. So the next story I'd like to talk about in just reading the headline, it's Supreme Court ruling causes Skagit County drug cases to be dismissed. So it's a very interesting story because at first when I read it, I didn't fully understand it. So um, if there's any questions, guys, please ask. Mm-hmm. First of all, not the federal Supreme Court. It's the Washington Supreme Court. So in the state that we currently reside, there is a decision back in 1981 that said that if you possess illicit drugs, regardless of whether you knew that you had them in your possession or not, this violated the state and federal constitution. And so and essentially this act would be punished. Now, February 25th of this year, there was a Supreme Court ruling, which five to four justices uh, voted for repealing this law. So repealing mm-hmm. the law that said if you're in possession of illicit drugs, whether you know or, or don't know, basically that's you're, you're going to be punished. So mm-hmm. now you won't be punished. Okay. So why was this law overturned? Um, it said that it punished a lot of innocent people. Um, so other cases mentioned in the news story would be, you know, someone picking up a jacket. You know, you go to a concert, you pick someone else's jacket. Mm-hmm. It had drugs in there. Please police officer pulls you over says hey does a quick search and all of a sudden you're going to jail so the main point was so this wouldn't happen um so like people unknowingly carrying like even the mail for someone if you want a better example uh shannon blake she Mm -hmm. resided in spokane um she was arrested i it wasn't really clear if it's because she stole a vehicle or she was in a stolen vehicle but she got put into jail and what ended up happening is the drug um, security searched her and they found in her coin pocket, they found meth, mm-hmm. methamphetamine. Basically, through this all, her and her boyfriend kind of said that these pants, they were bought secondhand. They got them two days prior. They didn't check the pockets. And so when they, it wasn't basically their fault. Um, and so now this was kind of like the front news story of this case where, hey, this person was wrongly convicted. Um, she, those weren't actually her drugs. And so that was kind of the main case why the justices repealed this law. Like, what is your like immediate opinion? What do you think of this new ruling? Does it sound fair? Does it not? I think that um, if we look at it kind of in the big picture, you kind of look at statistics of, you know, how often is... I don't have numbers for you guys, but how often is possession of a drug uh, the only uh, the only offense that that, that mm-hmm. they're being prosecuted yeah. for? Like in mm-hmm. this case of Shannon Blake, you know, she stole a car and she had drugs. Now, yeah. if you know that we don't want to sen- we don't want to sensationalize this and say that oh everyone who's uh, everyone who's been uh, prosecuted um, of of possession of drugs is now running rampant on the streets. You know, oftentimes it's in conjunction with another crime. And so I think that's an important distinction to make. I do know that there's, you know, some people are really rushing to amend this law and to make it more of a, uh, and to kind of redefine it. Um, Our law enforcement has things like probable cause, you know, where a lot of things are kind of left up to the judgment of of the person. Um, So just some thoughts. I I just wonder if prohibiting drugs possession is is really going to change anything you know i know it's a wider question but listen we we let people make their choices right i'm sure some of the choices they make are really stupid and um, dumb and result you know in in in, in big problems in their lives but possession mm, it, pe- people make their own choices they they want to you know harm their health um that's a different you know that's their choice to make but in terms of um 
other offenders, like for example, people who take drugs and then go out on the road, right? Well, that's something that we should put people in jail for. The, the catch here is like reading the narrative, right? So if you read mm-hmm. this new story and it's talking about, okay, so there's a lot of people who unknowingly got convicted and whether they were right, whether they weren't, you know, I just know previously from my own experiences when I was in third grade in elementary school, I was smart enough to bring like a little pocket knife to school. (laughs) And when the teacher saw it, the first thing that came to mind was, oh, I put on my brother's pants Mm -hmm. because I was quite, quite big back then. So I fit into my older brother's pants, but (laughs) I I said, Hey, I took my brother's pants. That was his pocket knife. This wasn't mine. You know, I feel ashamed of it now, of course, having lied, but that was my first instinct. No, it did not work. (laughs) But see, that was my, that was my first instinct. And that's the first thing that comes to Mm -hmm. mind is, Hey, it wasn't mine. These aren't my pants. And so when I first read this story of Shannon Blake, maybe she got really, really unlucky. And actually there was meth and pants that she bought, but I'm right. thinking maybe there's like some deeper meaning to it all. And, but the thing is, is we can't get distracted by the narrative mm. that's being talked about. Because if you get focused on all the people that unknowingly got convicted, then you miss the fact that the only possession law in Washington state just got repealed. Mm. So basically, like you guys pointed out, that while we're focusing on this un, like story of people un, like unknowingly having drugs, anyone who has drugs now without the purpose of distributing or like if mm-hmm. obviously someone catches you making these drugs, they'll the, the police officers have the ability to put you in prison. But possessing is now completely legal. Mm. And so if you focus on that narrative, you'll completely forget that, hey, like basically we're on the same page as Oregon, where if you possess right. dr- any kind of drugs, this isn't just marijuana, this mm-hmm. is meth, this is heroin, this is all the, the serious, drugs, yeah. serious drugs. And so just even listening to Skagit County prosecuting attorney, mm-hmm. Rich Weyrick, um, he said he has obvious concerns about the community. And he says he's quite disappointed because um, it will lead to more addictions and less people getting involved in treatment. And I think it's going to cause more deaths and more overdoses. Um, the ruling goes beyond protecting an unwitting person by making the law and constitution. The ruling makes possession of drugs legal. He said, so this is kind of like a whole bigger picture now. It's not only the narrative that they're, that the most news um, mm-hmm. articles are pushing. So now, you know, Wayrick brings up a really good point. He says, if a person is caught with drugs previously, they have the ability to go to what's called a drug court. And so once you go into drug court, if you like follow, in a sense, it's kind of like rehab. But if you go through this rehab, then all of your felony charges are dropped and you get to go free. And the Skagit Valley Herald reported last year that 70% of those who went to drug court actually weren't like weren't repeat offenders. Wow. So 70, nice. a good chunk of those people okay. actually were rehabilitated. And so that's why Ray, Ray Rick is making this point. Like, hey, we catch these people. We tell them that this is not okay. They have the ability to go through rehab and change even their addictions. Because I'm sure if offered help, most of these people would say, if they're truly addicted, that they, they would... Right like to receive some help, especially if it's funded by the government. The thing that is most shocking to me about this story, though, is what was brought up is that if a police officer, so if he pulls you over in his car, um, you're driving and you see he comes up and he you were speeding or something, gives you a ticket. But then he sees right on your dashboard, like a bag with meth or a bag with any other substances, you know, crack. He can't do anything. Because what is he going to do? He can't arrest you for possession charges. And unless he could prove that you had the willingness to distribute, which is really hard to prove in court, then he could just let you go, which is 
kind of mind-blowing because a person who right. sits there with drugs could take these drugs that are much, much more harmful than alcohol mm-hmm. that then they could go and just drive and be fine. And so that's kind of the part that was mind-blowing to me. So that, So now let's imagine that you're on the Washington State Supreme Court and your peers, say your other justices, um, Justice I, um, <laughs> but they voted 4-4. So now it's even and it's up to you. So four for repealing the law and four for approving. Knowing that you have the final vote, what would you vote? So I don't see this as, as necessarily a bad thing because uh, what, was a, what was a piece of legislature that was a kind of an umbrella term? Um, and so we couldn't introduce nuance into it because, oh, he has drugs, you know, that's, that's an offense. Versus now that, that, now that that's gone, and that umbrella, uh, umbrella law, I guess, is, has been repealed. Now we can establish nuance. Now we can write new legislature where we can make basically, you know, alcohol is, is legal to, to possess. But if you have an open bottle, it's a DUI. So mm-hmm. in the same way that we can introduce uh, a new legislature to provide more nuance. Uh, to, uh, you know, instances of people possessing drugs where, you know, uh, if you have the possibility of causing harm to somebody else, then we should crack down on that. Absolutely. If I were on the court and I was like going to retire the next day or something, then I would vote against it. Uh, I would vote against repealing it. But if I knew that I could, um, if I had a plan going forward to introduce more nuance and provide safeguards, um, so that it wouldn't be just a decriminalization. Because, I mean, we know that, you know, we talk about marijuana being a gateway drug. Drugs are, possession of drug is a gateway crime. You know, if you don't have those drugs, or if you don't have money to, to buy drugs or whatever, then that's, uh, you know, I, I, anecdotal evidence. But, like, people that break into cars, people that break into houses, mm-hmm. people that steal from family members or friends, they're desperate to get, to gain possession of those drugs. So, in, in a sense, if I had a plan going into the future which I hope these justices do, then I would vote yes. Yeah, so that, that was kind of what actually Weyrick and the other people um, who were, I think, mayors around Washington, what, what, what they ended up saying was that they would like to see this, obviously, law not just repealed. And what should have been done is, like you've mentioned, um, just right as soon as they repealed it, adding new legislature that would once again like be more thought through. And so one thought was brought up that if, like adding the knowing aspect to it. So if a person can prove that they didn't know about it or that it wasn't theirs, then they would be, then they like, they would be let go if they didn't know about it. But if they obviously knew and they didn't lie about it, then it would be brought in. So in a sense, like adding more, like you said, so it's not such a big umbrella term, but adding more like nuances because it really isn't that simple. Hearing this news, it kind of like made me think of the, um, Como News segment. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it was um, the fight for the soul of Seattle. Um, I'd recommend all of us, like if you haven't watched it, please watch it because having lived in Seattle for four years, it describes like what the homeless population is. And so it is very overwhelming, you know, and it's not just the homeless people who are, you know, struggling, who aren't doing drugs, who actually don't have a house that they're living in these tents, but there's plenty of welfare. There's uh, like housing for the poor there, there's so many things that the state does that the city does to help those who actually want to but these people it seems like they're i don't know how to say this best but they're a little bit crazy like these people would be yelling at you in the middle of the night they try to fight you they'd be hallucinating it's a very scary scary population and this is because they're you know what this uh segment kind of says is that 
the main reason is because drugs are just allowed and that leads to more crime that leads to very very scary stuff so like for example there's there's a place that's the homeless people go to to buy drugs there's a like an umbrella a table and it mm -hmm. says open for business on the top there's a person sitting there selling drugs cop cars are driving by they can't do nothing to them because mm. you know it goes there's a lot more to the story behind the scenes of how the judges are more open to like releasing like homeless people and saying that they have like mental issues and all these things and because they're poor they make these decisions and crime and drugs and stuff so they let them go but basically it seems like to me with this new law like we have to be really careful and like you said vadim like you pointed out that if there's no changes to it then this is a very scary place to be like this if this law wasn't repealed there's going to be like some craziness in this state you know there's going to be more homeless people on the street the crime is going to go up and so this is going to turn into like a kind of similar to a seattle but the whole state is going to be like that so i definitely think reading this story and the main takeaway that i wanted to say is that we have to be careful of what we read and to read these new stories from multiple perspectives because one for instance even in this story there was a narrative that said um if you are knowing if you're a person who has drugs like back to the story of grabbing someone else's jacket and you had these drugs and so in a sense when you first read it you feel sorry you're like oh wow that that, that sucks if a person actually goes through that they shouldn't be put in jail but then again it's like there's a whole bigger picture to it where for that time being and if this law isn't replaced with better legislature possession of drugs is now legal so it comes with the cause so doing your research really looking into it really pays off because you get the full and better picture well that's it for the list of our stories um, that we've had, hopefully we've helped you sort through some of the things that were important this week. And maybe you can use this to throw a life ring into someone struggling, you know, with making sense of it all. Uh, we hope our discussions will spark some important conversations about policies, values, faith um, with your friends, family and co-workers. And we do like to remind you that there is no greater news out there in the world on any given day than the good news of Jesus coming down to earth and uh, to live like you and me and to pay the price on the cross that in him people could find the true hope and salvation. And so if you haven't, we encourage you to learn more about him and accept him as your savior because he's the only one who has the life ring to bring you to eternal safety. And if you do know him, then be grateful, be thankful, uh, enjoy your weekend and uh, God bless you and we'll see you next week.